And we are back for another part train. What's up, guys? This is the show where you can learn and laugh about life from people who love the game of golf just like you. This is your host, Evan Singer. This is episode 62. It's crazy. We're getting up there. Um, We had the co-founder of Super Speed Golf, Michael Napoleon, on the show. Great episode. Um, Before I go into a little bit of an intro of what the episode was about and what we covered, uh, we've got a couple deals for you guys. First, Super Speed, if you want to get 10% off, which you probably will after listening to this episode, enter the code PARTRAIN and get 10% off and start belting it past your buddies. And again, another sponsor of this show, Roback, the greatest shirts in the history of the world. I know we've talked a lot about their polos, and if you listen to the last episode with the founders, um, you probably learned a lot more about their story and how they made Roback what it is. But one thing we haven't talked about is their quarter zips. Okay, We are getting into fall, into winter soon, and it's quarter zip season. Heard of it? These quarter zips, I'm telling you, when you you know when you walk into a pro shop or a department store and you and you feel the fabric of the clothes as you walk by them and sometimes you feel something and it makes you stop and you're like, holy shit, I have to buy this shirt or this jacket because it's that soft. Multiply that by five or ten and you'll get the rowback quarter zips. I'm telling you guys, this quarter zip is stretchy, it's soft, it's stylish. It's by far my favorite quarter zip I've ever owned. Their polos are just as good. So enter the, the code PARTRAIN, get 20% off, and uh, make your friends jealous from hitting it longer than with super speed and looking better because of Roback. Boom. Made them work together. Okay. This episode is actually a great balance, okay? it's It'll teach you a lot of great lessons. Uh, Michael goes into things from just learning how they went from a simple experiment of seeing if they could make this speed system actually a thing to being and working with 500 tour pros globally and being a household brand. Uh, I'm sure you guys have heard of it. So that's a crazy story to understand how they made that jump from there to trying to make this system simple. There's been a lot of complex things talked about out there. Um, we try and make it as simple as possible. And then we have some fun too. I mean, if Michael is the king of speed and he's got a need for it, then you know we sat him down and we took him through some life hacks and said, hey, how can you make these mundane tasks faster if he's the expert of speed? So we talk about dinner with mom and dad or the in-laws, folding laundry, getting through emails, and he's got some pretty funny answers there. So overall, great episode. Serm, myself, and Strat are all there interviewing Michael. And so we're just going to get right into it. Enjoy it, guys. Hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at the Par Train with any questions, ideas, or just hit us up. We're happy to chat. And uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks. All right. Take care. All right. And we're back with another Par Train. We got the full squad here, Serm, Strat, and Ev. Are you guys excited? Because I'm excited. We got Mr. Michael Napoleon, co-founder of Super Speed Golf. Do you guys like speed? You heard of it? I've heard of it. I've heard of it. Need, need for speed. Need for speed. Uh-oh. Mike, do you have a need for speed, Mike? Hey, that was like one of my favorite video games growing up, actually. <laughs> Come on, who doesn't like like racing fast cars, right? Yeah, no. It was, no, it was a game you know, changer. I, I, absolutely. Yeah, no, I, we, we've been you know, very excited about um, how popular the Super Speed Golf products have gotten. And I think it's really tied to that fact. Like, everybody wants to hit the ball further. I mean, I ran a golf academy company for almost 10 years, and 
I can think of maybe one out of a, a thousand people that came in that, you know, didn't want to hit it further. And, you know, that would be a guy that already hit it so far they just couldn't control it. But, yeah, just about every player, both professional and amateur, you know, not only wants to hit it further, but they're going to get a lot of benefits out of their game in many different areas if they can increase some distance. Everybody wants it. So, Mike, we're going to start you off. We like to start our guests off with something a little fun. Think of it as, you know, a little small bucket at the range, get you warmed up. Um, we created a segment just for you. Okay, we're calling this Great. Life Hacks with Super Speed. It's how to do mundane tasks faster because, after all, you are the expert on finding speed. So we've got three scenarios here. We've got hot takes for each scenario on how we would make these mundane tasks faster. And we'd love to hear all if right. you have anything to add based on your expertise once we go through them. Sound good? Well, let's shoot. All right. Scenario number one, dinner with mom and dad. Okay? Sometimes it can go a little long. Here's a little pro tip for you. Take them to tapas, okay? No waiting for entrees or desserts here. You cut out two-thirds of the meal experience. It's all appetizer round, baby. And you make sure you ask for the check midway through. Put in the time with mom and dad. Have some nice uh, catch-up. Have a good conversation and get out of there. Tapas. It's not a bad idea. I have to say, though, that you know, most, of the, most of the good tapas restaurants I've been to has actually been a longer experience. Oh. Yeah, because you're getting so many different courses. I'd go a little different route there. I think I'd pay the server off early oh. and basically tell them that like 15 minutes after the entrees get there for dinner, just go ahead and bring out three desserts that we've already pre-ordered and it's over. <laughs> yeah, See, that makes sense. That's very strategic. Wow. Yeah. Need for speed. Heard of them? All right, Strat, you're yeah. up. Yeah. Okay. So mine, uh, <laughs> mine is, has to do with laundry. I don't know about you guys, but typically I do all the laundry. I get it in the basket. And then the basket becomes my new dresser because I don't want to fold any of it. So my thought in order to speed up the folding process, which seems to be the biggest, uh, you know, monkey wrench in the entire ordeal is you just buy a whole new fucking set of clothing. You just throw out the old ones and you buy new ones. Then wait, you don't even have to deal with laundry. You're constantly getting new things. Let me know your thoughts. I mean, the new things is good, but if you're going to go that expense, just, just outsource, just hire somebody to do it. Whoa. Now, wow. wow. I wasn't even thinking about that. It makes a lot more sense. That's a lot easier on the pocketbook, too. Sirm, you want to take the last one or you want me to? I mean, I'll take it. I mean, this is need for speed right now. So, Mike, <laughs> what about getting through, getting through emails? I mean, it's the worst. I mean, the inbox is overloaded. I mean, I think we all agree. We select, the all, select all unreads, delete. I mean, how do we get through these? <laughs> these things bog us down. This is actually one that I know a lot about just because <laughs> – I mean, I probably at this point have 10 different email addresses that come in for all of our different products from golf to strike spray to tennis and baseball and all those things. I, I can say that this one is not nearly as fun to talk about, but it's all about setting up like amazing email filtering so that most of the emails that you don't need to see go into one place and you can scan those very quickly if there's anything at missed, and then select all and mark as red. And all of the ones that are important get filtered into places that you actually care to look at. Mike, you were doing well, but I got to say, that doesn't carry the same joy it's not as, fun, as having know, an email inbox of 300, clicking select all and deleting. I got to say, I appreciate the filters, but I don't know. I don't know. Oh, I, I still, you still scan through that. And I'm, it's about a 99% you know, pass rate where you know, the bad stuff, like just, 
anything you don't really need to look at very thoroughly is in there and you can just get rid of it. And I'm saying probably, I mean, I don't know. Uh, I, I probably average getting about 200 to 250 emails a day now. I'd say of those, 30 to 40 of them need attention. Mm-hmm. Ev, he's got a speed tactic for everything. I mean, Well, I'm glad we brought yeah. him in because you brought a lot to the table and I appreciate you adding value so quickly. Yeah, I promise we also, we didn't give Mike these questions beforehand. He just had great answers for all of them right off the cuff. <laughs> so he's moving quickly. But why don't we just jump right in to what we all really want to know. Is it possible to neurologically speed train for better calves? And I know you guys, I know Phil's a fan of your product and I want to know how I can get some of those calves that he's got. Can we get them quicker? What do you know about that? Quicker? I don't know much about that. I mean, if you got to go the science route. If you want bigger, you got to go hypertrophy. So you got to, you know, you got to do some heavy weight, tear some muscle and mm-hmm. go through the pain. Hitting balls and flip-flops seems to be a good idea for that one too, right? Yeah, a lot of candlelit uh, locker room conversations too. That seems to be what's working for him as well. I want to get a little bit more into the brand too. We want to talk a little bit about how, from a business standpoint. Um, you guys have prototyped this idea when you've owned and operated this business that's headquartered here in Chicago. Now you've gotten to this point where you've got 500 tour pros. You're a very recognizable band, brand, not just in this country, but around the world. So can you walk us through the tipping points and how you went from a prototype experiment to really a success at the highest possible level in golf? Yeah, I, I'd say we actually did it slowly, I would say. Um, and we did that on purpose because we're actually just entering, we're, we're about to enter the sixth year of operations for Super Speed. Uh, we launched in uh, the fall of 2014 was the very first time we, we announced this to the world. Um, we brought that product as a vendor to the, uh, the 2014 World Golf Fitness Summit, uh, the TPI's big biennial conference. That was the first time we did it. And I think, you know, one of the big pieces that we've been trying to stay true to since the beginning is it wasn't just about, you know, getting a bunch of money in and spending tons of money on marketing and pushing it out like a lot of these products do that you see in infomercials and things. But it was more of a slower organic growth where we really got a lot, you know, in this this point, many, many of the best coaches and players and all these different people around the world starting to learn about how our products work, how they can help their players. And then we tried to fit that, that piece of not only can we offer a very good product that also comes with incredibly good training and, and practice content that you can use with that product for years and years, but we also have a lot of educational opportunities now for those coaches and uh, players themselves so that we know that they're using it the right way and getting the best results. So, that's kind of the overview, but you know, how we did that is, you know, early on, you know, we did a lot of on the ground going around to all of the top academies and coaches and showing them the product and giving them demonstrations and doing small presentations. And as we did more and more of those that became more popular, we got a lot of the tour traction, um, you know, Kyle Shea, my business partner and other co-founder this, you know, spent two years basically going around almost every tour tournament weekly working with players and helping them use our products better um i took the route more of you know i i'm a i'm the pga professional in in this side he's our health and wellness guy um so we sponsor i mean now we're up to almost half of the pga sections in in america all five zones in canada um a lot of the different uh, pga organizations and federations in europe and I've spent a lot of time working with those organizations to create educational programs for their members 
also going to speak and, and provide workshops and do uh, clinics for their teaching and coaching summits, their fall and spring meetings, you know, various different events all over. Um, I mean, my, I would say, so we, we've done a lot of that by personal contact, relationship building with, with a lot of the best people in the industry. And what that's allowed is it's allowed us to build a huge community now of uh, very well-respected players, coaches, uh, and everybody else that really likes and, and understands our product. And that just helps it grow past that, that point of like a lot of the one hit wonder kind of products that have been out there for a long time. Was part of really the genesis of the idea and the brand was your, I guess we'll say your golf, you being going the golf professional route and then Kyle with this fitness, you know, element, his passion for fitness and, you know, nutrition, all those things. Was there a moment where you said, wow, how do we combine these two things to really do something innovative? I, I can go further than that. I mean, so Kyle and I were running a, a golf academy business in Chicago called Catalyst Golf Performance. Um, a good friend of mine and actually former former coach that worked for us is that Marty Evans now runs that business for us in Chicago. He owns it now. Okay. Um, but our whole concept there was to have the most comprehensive coaching experience that we could create so that every player that walked through the door, you know, we could handle any goal that they had, we could help them. And in order to do that, we had to have all the best technology, all the analysis equipment. We had to have all the best professionals, golf coaches, equipment fitters, fitness professionals, rehab specialists. We had to have all of that stuff on our team. So having all of that combined and under one roof gave us an incredible think tank um, to be able to come up with new ideas and new innovative ways to to help players get better. So what happened was super smooth. When we came across the concepts of uh, what used to be called overload underload training and we've now kind of more i would say we've refined the definitions of how these trainings work and what they actually do to the body but when we found the idea of you know using lighter weight clubs and slightly heavier weight when swinging them in certain protocols to help people get better what we found was that in contrast to our current model that we were having at the academy where Every person's program was completely personalized and 100% individualistic to that player and their goals. We found that this was a type of training that any person could pick up, regardless of where they were starting, fitness level-wise, skill level, just about anybody could pick this product up and go through these training protocols and see really good results um, in their golf game, you know, especially in swing speed. So we sort of flipped it a 180 on them. We went from being as highly specialized and highly comprehensive as we could possibly be for each player's development to let's find something that works for everybody that we can create an online platform that can help everyone that picks up this product get better. So that, that's kind of a, how it went, actually. It was, it's a little different than um, what people might think. So golf is notorious for, you know, having no shortage of uh, gizmos and gadgets that are going to improve your game with when I first heard about the super speed stuff, it was I probably like most people, it was on my golf spy and it was the data and the actual, you know, the numbers that spoke to me and made the most sense. Do you think that now that golfers have more access to this kind of information, not just through my golf spy, but you know, through through a myriad of things with launch monitors and and with being able to go to places like Golf Tech and actually seeing the differences, uh, you know, on on the screen, so to speak, and then on the course. Do you think it's 
an easier product to sell now than perhaps it would have been maybe 20, 25 years ago? Or do you think because golfers are now smarter and have more of that information, is it more difficult to, to come up with something that actually, that actually works when you're getting into the, you know, the, the golf device uh, landscape, I guess? I think you just have to have proof that what you're doing is creating positive results now. I think it was a lot easier 25 years ago to put something out on the market that you didn't really know how it worked you didn't know if it was really going to help everybody or what segment of the population was going to help. But you had this idea that, you know, having something hanging off the club or a gizmo in some way was going to make someone better. And you could sell a story without having any proof. I think golfers have more access to information now. I think that's a good thing. And I think most people that play golf tend to be extremely, you know, tend to be, you know, successful people in business and they're, and they're, they're, they're smart people that, want to see the evidence of why something they're doing is working. Um, that's the way they buy things in every other aspect of their life. You know, you look at, you look at the reports about the different cars that you're going to buy and the performance outputs of, of what you're going to get on a car or, you know, whatever it might be, you're always looking for that kind of like evidentiary support that what you're going to do is really going to help you. So we found that that was something in, in many ways that, that was lacking with a lot of the different products that had come out even recently in the golf world, that there wasn't a lot of science behind it. There might be a claim for some science, but you know, really having actual studies like we had, and we were lucky, we had the facilities at, at Catalyst to be able to test this stuff. And we had clientele going through in pretty large numbers that we could test a lot of these things you know, before we released it. I mean, we spent a year and a half doing R&D on all of this before we released the product. So that was great because when we released it, we knew what it was going to do. And then now we've had so many of these different third-party organizations do those same type of tests and coming out with the same results that we did. Um, it just gives a lot of backing to what we're doing that, that, you know, it's actually something that's verified by scientific data. It's not just, oh, I think this is going to help you. It's like, this is going to help you. This is exactly what it's going to do. This is the progression of that you're going to see over the course of two years. And, you know, we, we have that pretty nailed down to a science. I think the other piece, too, though, that's really big on that is that there aren't many other training aid companies that provide a lot of training content for how to use their product. I thought that was kind of wild. And, and when I started looking and doing some of the market research on what we were up against when we were bringing this product to market, I was like, most of these products that are out there give you like one little three minute video on this is how you use the product and there's nothing beyond that so like what what do you do with it once you buy it you know that was one thing that we wanted to do differently we wanted to create and continue to create a lot of great training content uh, so that people have to have our products you know i feel like the product the actual physical product is extremely simple it's not the proprietary piece of what we do it's all the training content that goes along with it that really helps the people get better I wonder what what was the the most difficult part in kind of trying to tell your guys' story because you know like you said there is a very extensive training protocol to it. However, you know the message is is pretty clear. When you were going around in those early days, what was uh, what was the story that you were having to tell, or what was it? What was the kind of aha moment that you guys found? I, I wouldn't say that it was difficult. The only thing that was difficult early on was getting in the door because there have been so many training aids showing up on the door of these different academies or with these different coaches. And, you know, I mean, everybody sent the newest great training aid to Martin Hall and Mike Adams and these guys. And, you know, so being able to actually get the meeting was probably the hardest piece. But once we got the meetings, you know, it was very, 
it was pretty easy to show them how the product worked and to show them how fast the results would come. And, you know, again, a lot of those type of people, those high level coaches are also very big in evidence-based coaching. So the fact that we had the evidence and when they ask us if you had any studies about your thing, I could hand them a document that said, here's exactly what happened with these 60 different people that went through it initially. We've got this study going now. And then you've seen all the My Golf Spy studies and all the other things that have come out. So I wouldn't, like I said, I wouldn't say that early on it was difficult to sell it. It wasn't hard to sell it. It was hard to get the meeting to, to be able to sell. And now that's definitely, now, now that's not as much of an issue. We certainly have a lot more people actually coming to us now wanting to get involved with the different programs that we've, we've built than, than we have to really go searching for it, even though we still are out beating the pavement. And I mean, I'm going to do probably 40, 50 workshops at, at PGA section meetings this year. Um, probably another 10 to 15, you know, half day, day long workshops with other groups around the world. So and we're out there trying to spread the word as much as we possibly can. And, you know, getting to be involved with great, great programs like this is another way that people can find out about our products, find out how well they work and that it's something that really will make them better at the game of golf. I mean, great segue, Mike, because speaking of how they work, you've, you've <laughs> talked about this on many different podcasts and, and news articles. So I wanted to try something different. I remember in school, they always say to really make sure you understand something, try and teach it, right? So I wanted to try and summarize how Superspeed, after doing my research and having, I know Serum has done it, Strat and I have a friend that have, has done it. I know his dad has done it. Um, from people we've talked to and what I've learned from research prepping for today, I want to see if I describe it in a way based on how I perceived it when I first heard about it. And you can tell me how I do, okay? So I'm interested. I think, when, I think when people first hear about it, you assume that it is just like the donut on the baseball bat. And I know you guys have dispelled this before. I think you guys proved that Baseball players that swung with the donut on the bat or heavier bats and then measured their bat speed, they actually had slower bat speed, 30% drop in bat speed, and then it took them about four swings to get back to normal. And I thought that was interesting because they were swinging slower, even though it felt like a lighter bat, it didn't transfer. So I know you guys call it overspeed training. There's three weighted shafts, right? And on your website, and you guys talk about it, you talk about how it resets your neurological wiring and trains your brain. And I couldn't quite wrap my head around that. I couldn't figure out how and why that would happen. But then I started to think about it. And I think it's the sequencing of making it really close to what the actual swing speed is of, your, of a normal club. But let me see if I get this right. You start with the lighter club that's lighter than your driver, right? You're swinging yeah. it fast you're swinging it hard you're training yourself to swing it faster suddenly you're able to swing what seems like your normal golf club faster so your body starts to get used to responding to a faster speed then you gradually add weight until it's a little bit heavier so then you're almost gaining muscle memory through that and is it so is it the gradual increase and the closeness of weight while using the lighter weights to actually gain speed that then carries over to your actual driver, I'm just trying to understand the neurological wiring and how, you're, how you can tr actually train your brain through this versus the example of a heavier baseball bat. Does that make sense? Yeah, 
Absolutely. I, I don't, I think you're very close. I think you're hitting on a lot of the pieces there. You just, we just need to get them in the right order. Okay. First thing that's incredibly important to talk about is that motor programs live in your brain. So think of a motor program as a sequence of events. It's like a computer program that runs from start to finish. And when you press play on that motor program, it's going to produce a, a sequence of motion in your body. Okay. That's a motor program. So the whole idea of like muscle memory is actually not muscle memory. Your muscles don't actually have any type of memory. So it's actually your brain has this motor program that runs your muscles. So the way that works, um, we call it a motor unit. A motor program, when you hit play, it sends an electrical signal down your central nervous system through the nerves in your, mu- in your body, out to your muscles. Your muscles have little receptors that receive that electrical signal and then respond to that signal. Does that make sense to start? Yeah. Got that? Okay. So now that response that happens from your muscles can be affected by a number of different things. It can be affected by, um, you know, muscle activation, certain muscles not being on in the right places of your body. You know, maybe you were sitting down too long that day. Um, Various different things can cause that reaction to that motor program signal to be different than what it normally, what what your brain thinks it's going to be, all right? Now, we actually just take advantage of that fact with super speed. That's what we do. So you, you're, when you stand up on the driver, with, with a driver, hit a ball, motor program runs, your muscles respond, and let's say you produce 100 mile an hour club speed, okay? What also happens in this, though, is those receptors on your muscles send a signal back to your brain that says, okay, good, 100 mile an hour golf swing complete. So basically, like, we hit the program, it ran, it responded, and you get a feedback that says it ran at 100 miles an hour, everything's good. All, all things are considered normal, right? Now, what, what happens with super speed, you pick up that green, green club that's 20% lighter than your driver. All of a sudden, if you were normally swinging at 100 miles an hour, on average, we see people be able to swing that about 118 to 119 miles an hour. Now what happens, your brain sends exactly the same signal, sends that signal down your central nervous system, it hits your muscles, muscles respond, but because there's a little bit of reduced resistance, all of a sudden it responds faster, and that feedback that goes back to your brain says, uh-oh, like lights go off, like what's going on here? Uh, we're going 118 miles an hour instead of 100 now, all right? Now, what happens in just a handful of swings, just a couple swings doing that, is your brain says, oh, well, it just happened three times in a row. I guess we're now at 118 miles an hour. And now when it sends in the signal, it's expecting the response of that much faster response speed from your muscle. So then we move up a club and we go to one that's just slightly heavier. Because if we only do the light club by itself, when you go back to your normal driver, when you go back to the normal driver, because there's more resistance, you, you won't have done enough to be able to permanently reset that reaction speed in your brain. And that very first one will slow back down. and be like, oh, yeah, that was just weird. There was some kind of fluke in those last three swings. We're back to 100. But because we go to that club that's 10% lighter than the driver, your, your body's not going to be able to move quite at that 118 speed, but you usually move around 115 to 116. So, again, it's sending that signal back saying, oh, 115, 116. Okay, we're there. Then you get to the red club. But even though that one's a little bit heavier than the driver, because we've already kind of started to do this neurological reset with those two light clubs, that player will swing that one usually around 112. 
So now it's going back 112 to the brain, and, and we're kind of messing around with this expected reaction speed of the body. And what we found is that with that amount of training, and as you go into the other protocols, you do it longer, we have more reps, and it became, becomes even more permanent the longer you do this. But when you go back and put skill elements back in, you can see as much as like a 5 6% jump in speed right away with hitting a ball. And that basically is just a, a function of your brain sending a signal, your muscles responding, and what the expectation of that response speed is. Got it. Okay. I think that makes sense. And you know what? The whole idea of your brain sending you a signal saying, uh-oh, why are we going 118 miles an hour? Mike, that was triggering for me because you brought me back to the moment that Strat and I played speed golf when they're running with three clubs trying to play 18 in under an hour. And I was hoping that yeah. they'd be jogging. And when they took off on the first tee and I realized that they were sprinting, my brain did the same exact thing and said, uh-oh, <laughs> why are they going 118 miles an hour? The only difference was my body didn't respond and oh. equalize with that. And you should have seen my face when we were done with the day. I'll let Strat describe how I looked after that, after that round. Yeah, it was shell shock. It was, he was terrified. <laughs> I was wounded. It was very hilly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so building off of the, the speed aspect, because like you said, Mike, that, that most players will experience that jump, uh, so quickly after doing, you know, just, uh, you know, one session or so, I imagine yep. all of a sudden now you're going to run into some issues where with that increased speed, because it is significant, what type of problems are you typically seeing or, or not just problems, but, you know, aspects that are now having to be dealt with as a player with, you know, with this added, uh, you know, club head speed, are you seeing, you know, guys are blocking stuff out or are they having to change equipment? Like what are, what are some of the common kind of, um, speed bumps that pop up? Hey, speed bumps. You're welcome. Sure. Oh, so we can't we can't talk about it on a a hundred percent of the time standpoint, just because everybody's starting from a bit of a different place when we when they start doing super speed. A very common thing that we see with amateur golfers when we assess them on three D and look at how they rotate and how they sequence, many many amateur golfers tend to not lead enough with their lower body and not create enough rotation in their, in their body segments by the time they hit the ball. Um, especially a lot of your players that like fight that kind of sweepy sort of hook or snap hook kind of move. Um, generally one of the main issues there mechanically is they're not creating enough rotational velocity in their body to get the club to plane out and really, you know, hit the ball without that kind of sweepy inside out pass. If you have a player like that and you get them doing super speed right away, nine times out of 10, they're probably going to hit the first few shots right after they do the training to the right, because we've increased how fast the body's rotating, which tends to also increase, you know, how much they're leaving the face open compared to where they normally work. Right. So mm -hmm. I would say that depending on where a player is, where they're starting with the training, we always you know, recommend that it's good to work on, you know, the other skill elements of the game, you know, alongside of this. You know, it, it's not a one-tool fix-all for every single thing that you can possibly do in golf. It's just something that will definitely help you become more efficient, swing, swing the club more efficiently, more athletically, create more swing speed, and give you the potential to hit the ball a lot further. For many players, there's not a huge, you know, it doesn't take a lot to get those minor little skill pieces back up to speed. With most of our tour players, we find it's like the fourth ball after they do the training usually gets nutted about 
25 yards further than they have, you know, hit it in the last three years. And they look down at a watch monitor, like they think we just like we're playing with buttons and trick them. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it is always important to work on the skill aspect of the game as well. That would be sure. the most common thing, though, is that we increase some rotational velocity because of the training. Feelers tend to leave the face open for a first few shots. What I would say is this, though, as far as a, a bigger statement, if you're going to start doing speed training, the first six weeks that you're doing the training, you should expect there to be things changing about, you know, the way you're hitting the ball, the, the how fast you're swinging the club, how far the ball's traveling. You know, we, we always have this debate with our, with our baseball people a lot because it's not a big deal in baseball because, you know, 20 feet further over the fence is, is a better home run. But it's still, you know, I mean, it's, it's it's great. You know, 10 yards over the green and golf sucks. So, like, you do have to kind of work on those skill aspects of sort of honing in distances, making sure that, you know, you are fit properly for clubs. I mean, I know most of our high-level players, like tour players, I mean, they gain six, seven miles an hour swing speed going through this training in, in a couple months. I mean, they will retool their entire bag. Like, the entire bag will be different shafts, different lost on some of the clubs they might add in a three iron versus a four iron you know there's all kinds of things that can change there so it is very important um to have somebody looking at those other aspects of your game in order to make sure you're still optimizing uh all of those areas that's interesting mike because i think you were kind of alluding to some of the success stories some of the students or pros or guys that you've worked with but for a lot of our listeners, Mike, I mean, it's it's the average weekend grinder. Like it's, you know, guys that are guys and women for that matter that are 20 handicaps, 15 handicaps. Can you maybe from a high level talk about, get specific about some success stories that you and your team have seen with um, maybe middle handicappers or high handicappers, um, kind of what they brought to, what they brought to the table and what you saw and what you guys were able to do? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we get we get letters and emails and stuff all the time from people that are, you know, I, I remember one guy from up in Connecticut that um, sent us an email just, you know, thanking us so much for the for the stuff that we were doing. It was a guy that was, he had, uh, I think he had come off some like cancer treatment and was, you know, finally getting, getting well on that, but had lost like 40 yards off the tee, was hitting it like 190 yards instead of like 230 and I mean, had played with the same group at his club for 20-something years and was, like, couldn't play with them from the same keys anymore. Like, couldn't even reach the fairway on, on four or five different holes on the course and was basically ready to quit the game. Um, you know, and this product was something that helped him, you know, get back into that regimen of, of working on speed a little bit and, and really recovering a lot of what he had lost there. I'm pretty sure he was doing some other things as well physically, but um, it was a major component in the training and, you know, the guy sure. that basically thanked us for, you know, helping him stay playing this golf game because, you know, he wanted to play with his group and he wasn't going to be able to do it if he didn't hit it further. I've done a session with your counterpart, Mike Peck. And I mean, I played in college, but I found a couple miles per hour. I mean, it's really amazing yep. what an hour's work can do with your guy's product. And I don't know, I'm a full believer. You know, it would be like, um, you know, like the neurological side of training, like golfers have always worked on the mechanics of their swing, right? We've always worked on the mechanics of our swing. In in the past 20 years, it's become way more popular to get fit for clubs to really optimize your ball flight and optimize distance. You know, I think, you know, our friends at TPI have been so huge in the side of 
bringing a lot of the other physical elements to the sport of, you know, helping people become better athletes and, and becoming more functionally mobile and all of that, that physical aspect has a huge piece in, in helping ball hit, hit or helping people hit the ball further. But honestly, like that neurological training side, nobody's ever done it. Like nobody's really right. ever done this in golf on any kind of broad level. So the reason you see such great results is because it would be like if you never, you know, you know, if you never rode a bike, teaching someone to ride a bike and, and they actually have that now from they're going from zero to you know, wherever they get with our training is so much better than having never done it at all. So, you know, starting from zero like that, where people have really never done any of this training before, I just add that kind of fourth component to the overall matrix there of how to how to improve your golf game, I think is really important. So, Mike, you'd mentioned that, you know, you started out doing really individualized programs. What were kind of some of the differences or realizations that you had where you figured out that you could create a program that that worked for everybody, regardless of, you know, kind of the, the physical constraints that some players may or not have or the age differences? What was the what were kind of the breakthroughs that that helped develop the, the program as it stands now for everybody that buys a, a new set of super speed? Yeah, I mean, again, at, at our academies, we spent we spent five years basically trying to create the most comprehensive intake assessment process that you could possibly come up with, where we looked at everything. We turned over every stone about that player's body, mechanics, equipment, all of it, to, to try to figure out where we could we patch holes and, and capitalize on strength and create an overall program for their game. Where, where the real kicker was for Super Speed is we just found that whether it was a tour player in front of us, whether it was a 30 handicap player that had barely ever played or you know a guy in his 80s, we put this stuff in front of them and they saw immediate improvement with it. So that was kind of where it flipped for us. We, we, we were doing our studies with them. We were just seeing player after player after player get the same positive results from doing this training, regardless of all those other factors. And we'd assessed all these people. And we knew where they stood in all those different areas, and they were very different. And it's like, wow, like this is something that really applies to a vast majority of everyone that plays this game, you know, versus having to be so detailed about trying to help people, you know, get better in an individualized way. And I'm not saying that's bad. I think that's a, you know, if you have coaches that are doing that for you, that's phenomenal to have those real comprehensive programs. I hope that our products have become part of the programs that a lot of these great coaches build. But we just found that it was something that we really needed to go all in on because we felt like it was something that could help everybody and that we could we could bring to everybody in a much more prolific way than you know spending three hours assessing each player that came in. Mike, I think we all remember the video with Phil, aka Fig Jam, on the range at a tour event, swinging as fast as he can with your guys's um, super speed sticks. You know, it was funny to see him doing that, and I wonder, do you guys see that it's a challenge or a barrier to overcome? almost the social acceptance of the training regimen, meaning are people embarrassed to go to the range in front of people they don't know to do the speed training? Are they more comfortable to do it at home? Like, wh what do you see there? I would say early on, that definitely was something that we heard. But the fact is, is that you don't have to be at the range to do our stuff. So I would say early on, a lot more people did it at home. Now, I mean, most most high-level clubs around the country, most most facilities that have big training centers or, or things have our stuff standing there on the range as a staple. So I think it's become much more socially acceptable. We've become PC, if you will, in the golf world. 
um, <laughs> over the last couple of years. We laugh about Phil, but you guys work with over 500 tour pros around the world. So, Mike, for the listeners, is there a quick, maybe funny story or two you could share? You know that you and your your team has had experiences with with tour pros. I'll share one. I'm not going to use any names. John did a classic, I believe, maybe three years ago. Three years ago, and we were out there just. We met with a couple of players that wanted some more information on our stuff, and one guy came up that had been using it for that we thought had been using it for like a year. He's like, "Yeah, I I, I kind of." I stopped about uh, you know a couple months ago. I only ever got to the blue club, so I I was just kind of it, it didn't really feel right. I only got to the blue one, and we just looked sideways at each other. Kind of just looked there like, oh boy, tour players. <laughs> uh, it's, it's always it's always interesting because uh, I was like the next one. I was like, well, did, did you watch the video about how to do? It? He's like, oh, there's a video. I was like, yep, yep. There's the issue. We've now created them like little laminated flip books that have all the protocols written down for them. That they can keep in their bag. That's that's helped a little bit. I mean, most of those guys have great coaches. Their coaches are giving them very detailed programs on exactly how to do this stuff. Um, again, I, that that would be my plan too. If I have if I had a high level player, I want a lot of really good people around them at those events, making sure that they're they're optimizing what they can do so they can get the best performance out on the course. When I was doing my first session with Mike Mike Peck, and we had a guy next to us turn to us and said you guys are bombing it. And, you know, I just want Strat and Evan here on the car train to experience, you know, bombing it, you know, because, you know, it's a, it's a real phenomenon. Yeah. My dad's been using it and we went and played it recently and he's been doing it for, I guess, probably three or four months. And I, you know, put it 60, 70 yards past him off the tee. And all of a sudden he's, you know, 15, 20 yards behind me. And like the smile on his face was, was <laughs> awesome. And of course I was like, all right, I got to get me some of these fucking sticks because we can't be having this oh, yeah. on my I mean, watch. Look, we, we can talk, we can talk about tour players all day, but you know, you're a 15 handicap group that's playing at the club. And all of a sudden one guy's like 20 yards ahead of him, where he was 10 yards behind him before that guy's way happier than just about anyone else on the planet at that point. Exactly. I mean, speaking of helping, you know, the everyday golfer, Mike, we got one last question for you. And, you know, I might have a member guest tournament this week. So this is a selfish question too. You're a, you're a golf coach and teacher on a broader scale, you know, than just gaining distance. So, you know, you've taught a lot of people. What is one thing that every amateur should do tomorrow to help their game? That's a really good question. I think actually the best thing that amateur golfers could do is learning more about how to practice. Well, um, I think, trying to change up what you're doing practicing and doing it in shorter bursts is actually a much, much better strategy than standing there and beating balls for hours, which is the tendency that we all want to fall into. But, you know, I would challenge everybody the next time you're out of the range, instead of hitting 27 irons in the row, in a row, like if you want to use your seven irons, fine, but pick eight different targets out in the range of all different distances and try to hit one ball at a time with that seven iron to all those different targets. That's going to help you learn more about your golf swing, your golf game, and apply more to what you're going to do out on the golf course than hitting 4,000 balls on the range. I, I did that growing up with one of my coaches. And talk about learning how to know, knowing where the club head is at all times, right? Yeah, well, you don't learn how to pure a shot by just doing it over and over and over and over again. You learn how to hit pure shots out on the golf course by knowing what it feels like to hit a big hook, to hit a big fade, to hit a low shot, a high shot to hit it shorter distances, to be able to 
we used to call it um, learning the spectrum. So learning the whole spectrum of fields that cause all of these different things to happen with the ball and how the ball flies. And again, I think the common misconception there is that it's better to just stand there and try to groove that over and over again. And if you do it enough times, you're going to be able to repeat it at any time. And it's just not true. You know, learning that whole spectrum is what's going to allow you to hit all kinds of different shots when your body feels a little different, when the temperature is different, when you're under pressure and all the different things that you're going to come across when you're out on the golf course. For sure. Well, I'm prepped. I'm ready. Mike. I'm ready. Take, take, take me now. Take me now. <laughs> Mike, thanks so much for coming on. And uh, you guys have been great. And also, uh, here's a little fun surprise. If you enter the code PARTRAIN at superspeedgolf.com, you get 10% off. So if you want to make those gains with a Z, you know, we're making it easier. So thanks so much for coming on, Mike. Appreciate it. Yeah, no, I really appreciate you guys having me. I love doing this stuff. I love talking about these uh, products and, the, and also just how, how people can get better and enjoy the game of golf more. So really appreciate what you guys are doing for the entire golf community. Keep it up. Thanks a lot, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Thank Need you. for speed. Oh, 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 oh,